Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Uh, you know, it's been a challenging Monday. It was a challenging weekend. Uh-oh. Of course, our our beloved Atlanta Braves lost a young phenom, uh, Ronald Acuna yeah. Jr., yeah. Uh, due to injury. And it was it was it was really tough to watch. Um, but he'll be back. And as he says, if he if he was giving five hundred percent to this point. He's going to double down and give a thousand percent when he gets back on the field. So he'll be back soon. Wow. Well, um, it's been a rough season in a lot of ways for uh, <laughs> for the Braves, hasn't it? I mean, that's right. They've had some on on field and off field difficulties, right? Agreed. Agreed. Um, but you know, uh, it, it's good just to have sports back. And we were talking uh, pre-show. We got team members. Uh, you know, making plans to go to concerts, which is awesome to hear. We got uh, folks, you know, we, we were able to get together for, for dinner last week. Uh, we got sports back. Um, all of that uh, is, is certainly some good news, right? Well, yeah, as long as you're not making plans to go to the Tokyo Olympics because they just banned fans <laughs> from that. And, oh, you know, I'm a huge fan of the U.S. Open. And we, uh, my wife and I and some friends, we usually go many, many years, if not every year. Seems like it's been more than just a year that we have not gone, but right. they're still they're still promoting buying tickets. But I wonder how long that's going to last. Right, mm. the numbers, at least in the states, don't seem to present that big of an issue. But you just never know. Some of this, you never some know. of this is 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 real, like it is in some so many of these Asian countries. Some of it is optics for these governments, so they don't wind up feeling the backlash of of the community if they're wrong and rightfully mm. so they, I mean, they should be very, very cautious about this. Yep. Well, uh, you know, we're going to tackle a ton. You met, you mentioned governments. Yeah. I think today is going to be like the white house version of the supply chain bus. We got a lot of stuff to get into and I'm so glad you're here to help make heads or tails of some of the, some of these stories we're going to be talking about. Don't give me too much. Crap. Um, <laughs> well, we should mention though. So today is all the, is the spot chain buzz. It comes at you every Monday, twelve noon Eastern time. Uh, we're talking about some of the key stories and issues taking place really across global business. Today's show is powered by our friends over at Omnia Partners, yeah. where they are reshaping Greg the future of purchasing. In fact, I'd say they're reshaping the current state of purchasing. Right? Yeah, uh, you know, especially. They're what's called a GPO, right? A group purchasing organization. And they do a lot of the negotiation for a lot of companies and create economies of scale. So this is not something that's new to the industry. I think over the past, gosh, Scott, what is it? Year or two, we have talked to a number of their folks there um, who are, as we've determined, built for this, right? They are built to help companies do this. And as procurement has become more and more in the spotlight, just like broader based supply chain, 
I think it's important for companies to really figure out how to be really, really effective. Imagine the difficulty getting indirect and direct materials for companies these days with all of what's going on in supply chain. Having somebody who has a broader purview over the marketplace feels really, really important these days. It feels like it would be really so much more powerful than a company going it on their own. Agreed. Agreed. You can't have enough true subject matter experts to uh, weigh in and help you navigate through today's yeah. uh, business environment. And on the partner to just that, and Greg and I, as Greg has mentioned, we've had a chance to see it up close and personal and as well as get feedback from the marketplace. Um, so speaking of Greg, Omnia Partners, we've got a great opportunity for all of our friends across uh, our global community to get to know them better. So we are going to be in Miami at their big annual event coming up in September. That's right. I like them even better now. <laughs> Connections 2021. So get this, Greg. So first off, we love folks that offer free events to come out and uh, network, uh, take in the keynotes, you know, uh, professionally develop <laughs> and uh, attend the expo, the whole nine yards, right? I think they even, they even have Jeff, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, I think this year as kind of the comedic, the comic relief, but it's free for supply chain sourcing and purchasing leaders. So check that out. 400 plus attendees having a great time down in Magic City, which is one of Miami's nicknames. That, that was new to me, Greg. Yeah, I didn't know that. Is okay. There was a few others, but I, I chose maybe the the, the, uh, the easiest one to talk about. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting live down there in person uh, in Miami or Miami, as Bobby Bowden used to say. Yes. Uh, September 27th through the 29th. You can check out more via the convenient link we have dropped in the show notes. And come out and join us uh, at a very minimum. Make sure you connect with the Omnia Partners team. Uh, they offer a ton of expertise, ton of you know, a ton of resources for folks making big, big purchasing and other business decisions. Right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great opportunity to connect with folks. You know, Kevin who runs the joint, and Ara who you've seen on on our shows before. They're pros. They're just they're just professionals, and there's so much you can learn from them that can improve your your business. That's right. Absolutely. So check it out. Uh, again, we'll be down there September 27th through the 29th. The link to learn more is in the show notes. All right. So moving right along, if my mouse, I hope my mouse battery is not going to die. We'll see here. I might be leaning on the production team. Um, so webinar, uh, before we get to September, which is chock full of events, you name it, uh, tons of learning opportunities. July 27th, we've got uh, Kevin L. Jackson and I are hosting a webinar focused on digital transformation that accelerates and strengthens your supply chain. So join us there July 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. The link for that is also in the show notes. And um, I think I think my mouse has given up the ghost, Greg. We'll see. We, we <laughs> shall okay. see. You know, I'm sitting here listening to LinkedIn <laughs> alerts every time somebody yeah. likes or comments on something. Well, yeah, I know. I turned that off. You were, you were dropping some great POV earlier today, which we're going to touch on here momentarily. So we, Man, we better be prepared. Did that fire some people up too, <laughs> by the way. All right. So that so we just talked about what's coming up in July. Also, August eighteenth, uh, we're going to be talking with the folks from Quip, Quip, uh, and uh, our friends from Alloy. So we're going to be uh, Greg and I are going to be hosting a conversation with Imran Patel about really focus on what you can learn from a digital first. DTC or direct to consumer brand. They've had quite an omni channel 
revolution, I'd call it, at Quip. And you're going to hear it firsthand here. And Greg, you know, Quip, uh, Amanda, who's behind the scenes along with Jada and Clay making the production happen. Right. Uh, Amanda's been a, a longtime big fan of, of how they do business over there at Quip. Well, and Amanda has beautiful teeth. So I think, that, I mean, that speaks a lot to, no, seriously, I mean, not just the brand and not just what we can learn from a supply chain standpoint, but to the quality of this product. And to me, that is as much the power of direct to consumer as anything is, you know, I've worked for retailers. I've been the person who made the decision on whether a product hit the shelf or not. Now a company can build a good product. They can build a groundswell with influencers and social media and, uh, and you know, growth hacking, as, as people love to call it. And they can create a place for them in the, themselves in the marketplace that, um, you know, allows them to, I wouldn't say bypass necessarily, because Quip is also in major retailers now, but they didn't start there. Right. And it, it creates a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I think that opportunity and that dynamic is so valuable for established brands to learn as well as so many brands attempt to go direct and or at least offer a direct alternative to going to the retailer and as so many retailers are trying to go to e-commerce right stunning the number of retailers who hadn't even really contemplated e-commerce until this covid 19 seismic societal disruption right uh, so I think there's a lot that everyone in every phase of the supply chain can learn from this company. Sounds weird, right? To think of it, think of a company like this that is started so small and and really started with one product can teach us so much. But it is it's a tremendous. Having had some preliminary discussions with them, it's a really tremendous uh, story. Yep, terrific. And join us August 18th, 12 noon to learn a lot more. You can register in the link via the comments here. Okay, I want to stop for just a second. And Greg, if you've got access to your mouse, I'm going to let you say hello to folks today. If that works, that's going to give me a chance behind the green curtain to swap out some batteries. Can Uh, we do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're not supposed to tell people when I'm doing that for you. (laughs) Hey, we're a transparent bunch around here. Oh, you know what, Scott? I can't do that because I'm not logged in on the account that does that. That's okay. That's okay. Let me see if we can, uh, first off, why don't you, so, um, so as I do this here for a second, Greg, as we go through these, these hardware changes, yep. right. I'm now on a totally different device for right. broadcasting, which one doesn't have a mouse. It only has a touchpad, which I need to fix. And yeah, you guys get to see how the sausage is made today. <laughs> <laughs> and well, also, I'm not I'm not logged into the account that has that kind of control. I'm sorry. Scott. I think we're I good. I just swapped it. I think we're good. We're back See? to normal. We swapped <laughs> swapped some thing, things around, and we are back to operating at full <laughs> capacity. So that's good. With that said, if nothing else. All I did was kill time by confessing <laughs> our sins. Right. That's right. All right. So hello, Paul. Greetings from Sierra Leone. He says, "Great to have you here. Uh, looking forward to your POV." We have Santosh. Uh, dialed in via LinkedIn from India. Hello, Santosh. Ramadeep, greetings from Canada via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Looking forward, folks. I hope you brought your POV today because we're going to be tackling some some topics and some stories that we're going to want to hear from you. Uh, Mohammed, once again, greetings. Uh, let's see. KSA. Uh, my acronyms are failing me right now, Greg. Oh, my gosh. What am I? I- so, Mohammed, let us know what... Um, 
where you're dialed in from. ignorant dudes know what KSA is. <laughs> right. Uh, he's I, with I, us. I, I know it. It's just I'm blanking on it. Well, great to have you regardless, Muhammad, via yeah. LinkedIn. Of course, Peter Bolay, all night and all day, is with us. Hey, Peter, hope this finds you well. Looking forward to your event with us in a couple of weeks. Nerfad, couldn't miss this rant. Well, hey, Nerfad. So, I think he also commented on it on LinkedIn. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, Saudi Arabia, KSS. We should have known that. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Oh, Muhammad, my apologies there. Greetings and great to have you here. I had never, honestly, had never heard it called that before. I hadn't thought about that. Um, Nerfad, uh Buckle up, get ready. I've enjoyed seeing your vacation picks across social media. Hey, no Mohib is with us, Greg. Of course. Thank you, by the way, for joining us. Tuned in from Wichita, Kansas, the air capital of the country. Mervin Daniel, once again. Hey, Mervin, uh, talk about people that keep it real. We expect to hear from you here today. Hope this finds you well. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Um, is it Laray? Is my my hunch is a T is silent. If if I got it wrong, please let us know. So welcome, happy start to the week. She says greetings from Venezuela. She's tuned in via LinkedIn. Old TV. Tom Valentine's with us. Greg, you got a special message wow. for Tom? I do. Um, I found your. I found a lake house for you, Tom. It's not in your budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we do look forward to getting out and playing some golf with Tom really soon. Gregory. Yeah, that's right. So is that the answer, Scott? Yes. Let's just share everything with the community today. Is that your answer? You're in for that? Uh, not for that one tournament because we've got a little bit of work to do that day. But okay. Tom's got an inside right. track uh, for highfalutin folks like Greg White. And I think we're going to. So one of these times we need to just replay Tom's video right. that we did at Modex. Yes. We should bring that on we the will. air. Just start everyone's week with Definitely. that. Definitely. We sure will. Uh, Greg Gregory's back with us. Gregory, I think, from the Caribbean, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was with us last week. Great to have you here once again. He's uh, tuned in via LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Kelvin, appreciate your feedback here. This is a great platform for all of us in this group learning new things and also exchange with global supply chain team members. I'm, I'm with you. Excellent point, Kelvin. Yeah. Appreciate that feedback. And welcome to everybody, everybody. Um, okay, so let's do this, Greg. Let's dive into uh, the first story here. Um, are you ready? You buck it up, ready to go? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Well, it's really the oh, second yeah. one. Sorry. The I'm, second one. I'm sorry. I've got my monitor way over here, so I'm going to have to do that monitor thing I've been making fun of for. <laughs> the second, the second story is what we're really looking forward to, to hearing your take on. But in the meantime... We got this first story here. So last week, the White House announced more moves against uh, Chinese companies with regard to alleged abuse of Uyghur civilians and other Muslim ethnic minorities. I say that right, Greg? Uyghur. It okay. is. Yeah. All right. Uyghur. Yeah. Uh, the Biden administration, let me uh, tackle a couple. I'm going to share a couple of the high points from the story, and then, Greg, I'm going to come to you and get your take here. The, the Biden administration added 14 Chinese companies to a trade blacklist. According to the U.S. Commerce Department, hmm. the move was made due to these companies' alleged role in enabling, quote, Beijing's campaign of repression, mass detention, and high technology surveillance, end quote, against Muslim minorities in China, particularly in the uh, Zhangjiang province. I think I got that right, too. Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Close. Close. Yeah. Gosh, I got the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Emphasis on the Thank wrong you. syllable. <laughs> so, Xinjiang province. CBS News reports 
And this was this was uh, this was there was no alleged in this next comment. CBS News reports that the Chinese government has detained a million or more people in that province since 2017. The Trump and Biden administrations have both used the word genocide for what the Uyghur population has been subjected to in China. Wow, strong language there. So, Greg, over to you. What was your what's your take on this move here? Well, if anyone's heard me talk about this in the past, um, my take is that this is genocide might be a kindness for these people because this is a continued methodology of repression and and slavery. Though the administration won't say it, it is it isn't in fact what mm-hmm. it is. And um, many many companies with names that you know, over eighty six companies that are not Chinese companies contribute to this problem by using companies who use this labor in the Xinjiang province, some of which you know the names of very, very well. And we've published a list that that addresses that in the past. And you may have heard us report some months ago about the fact that the U.S. government was going to assume that companies who operate in the Xinjiang province are conducting it via slavery unless they could prove that they were not. That means that these companies, these 14 companies that have been added to this list, were unable to prove that they are not using slave labor, these Uyghurs, as slave labor mm. to to do their business. So to quote the great Wick, Ricky Bobby, if you keep doing business this way, then you. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this is ridiculous right. that, there's nothing, of course, that our government can do about it. It's um, it's good to blacklist these companies. It's good to notify American companies. It would be better if these American companies who are otherwise so high and mighty on all of their other social issues would refuse to, to continue to do business with companies that are so clearly conducting business by using slave yep. labor. Um, I, I think... Regardless of your of your take on, I, I love the growing spotlight um, that's being put on the abuses of of, of um, certainly in China uh, as it relates to human trafficking or, or slavery, as as Greg has alluded to, because supply chain leaders have something to do about it and, and a big responsibility to do something about it. So, um, interesting report coming out of CBS, uh, the White House adding these fourteen companies uh, that will have a ripple effect for sure. But Greg, uh, we'll be tracking the story you know, continually. It, it it it's one of the big stories of our, arguably, of our generation. It is, and I mean, it's not unique. By the way, slavery is not unique to um, to China. It's just that so many American companies contribute to right. it. That's the travesty. We can't do anything about the slavery problems in in India necessarily. We have done things about the slavery problems in and conflict minerals in Africa, right? We just refuse, the American companies just continue to refuse, and they're not all American, some are German, Adidas, and others like that, who continue to contribute to this problem. That, um, And so that's what needs to be highlighted as much as these companies that the government is black. Yeah, excellent point. Hey, uh, appreciate what, Korai Koze has said here, uh, he says, I love that you take on the most difficult issues and openly talk about the interdependencies. Excellent point. Appreciate that feedback. That's because nobody can fire me, <laughs> Korai. I have nothing to lose and I never will. All right. So, so 
Um, we'll be tracking the story. Uh, I really appreciate uh, CBS reporting very openly and frankly. You know, uh, there's a but as we both know, there's a ton of Chinese ties to the entertainment industry, or the media industry, yeah. and the news industry, and the movie making industry here in the U.S. So it's it's good to it's good to see this type of reporting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tee up this next story, and then Greg, I'm going to um, before you dive in, give me a minute because I got to prep. Yeah. Okay. So let's tee up this second story here. So uh, in other White House news, I mentioned it's, it's White House Monday here, uh, supply chain buzz. The Biden administration's making big waves as the president signed a wide-ranging executive order with a whopping 72 initiatives involved, uh, including more uh, than a dozen agencies. So we are still dissecting all the moving pieces here. you got but. There's a great article here in Supply Chain Dive via Matt Leonard, which you can join. I think we'll drop that link in the comments. So we're still dissecting it. But at a high level, Greg, the White House's goal, it states, is to increase competition to bring down prices across global supply chain. Now, Greg, hang on mm -hmm. a second. I need to um, get, get ready here for your commentary. So I brought my handy-dandy goggles and uh let's see here i had to bring i had to load up the truck and bring some fire extinguishers here greg just in case uh your pov got kind of hot but <laughs> yeah <laughs> tell us now tell us uh kidding aside let's talk about your take because you put it out there on social media earlier today you know kind of went through it and and uh told folks very transparently what you thought what's your take here on this executive order when has the government ever gotten involved and prices have gone down? Mm. That's all. No, I'm kidding. Um, um, look, the, the solution to the problems that have been generated in many cases, largely by the government is not for the government to get more and more involved. Right. Um, and, and, and particularly to use impotent organizations like the federal maritime commission, who I have published many, many summaries on their, in action or inability to produce action in regards to fairly simple things like the uh, port congestion, right? And their mandates, if, if you want to call it that, mandates without teeth apparently, that have been completely ignored by the carriers to this point. So what we have to understand is that even our government, the U.S. government, has limited authority over, over companies that have no operations or have few operations or at least have primary operations in outside of the United mm. States. So it's difficult for them to do anything. And a lot of this is a lot of this problem is begotten by the brother-in-law deals that the US government and all governments frankly have done since the beginning of their existence. We wouldn't have the kind of exclusivity in the railroads that the president talks about here that he's trying to get railroads to share their rails because in the States, the U.S., the, sorry, the company owns the rails, not the country. And those, those agreements were made with the robber barons, the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's and the whomever's, way, the Flagler's, as you mentioned the other day, Scott, uh, um, way back when, when cronyism and graft and uh, outsized influence of these millionaires now would be literally trillionaires in these days. Um, when these millionaires holds, held so much sway over the government that they basically got to do whatever they mm. want. And, and the government is, is complicit in, in other companies essentially having the ability to do whatever they want. Companies like 
Twitter and Google and, and Apple and, and Amazon and, and also complicit in enabling even greater control of those companies today. So I'm maybe more than a little bit dubious of the government's ability to really do anything here. Now you have to juxtapose that also with the conflict, the inherent conflict of interest where, and, and lack of knowledge that politicians have their conflict of interest being, they're always trying to get reelected. So they're going to do what's expeditious. And this is a surface level, this particular executive order, much like the previous supply chain executive order. It's, it's a, effectively hand-waving. It doesn't really do anything. It encourages, if you use, if you see the words, they're very carefully chosen. It encourages and it, and you know, they use other mitigating words that really, if you read between the lines, mean that nothing will or can get done by the government. So that's really concerning. And then, and then of course, you've got the juxtaposition of their lack of power, their lack of willpower, and their lack of knowledge, which uh, can only only complicate things because they will do what's expeditious as all governments do and what is you know and what is um, public, but they won't do anything of any great mm. depth and that's going to potentially create some much much larger problems down the road so uh, and and Sheldon as as an you had the fire extinguisher. <laughs> Sheldon, great to have you back. You were with us uh, a few weeks back. Great to have you back. And yes, Greg will always tell you exactly. And that, that's important, right? That's that's really important. It's a big part of our transparency here. And uh, I benefit from from that uh, frank feedback all the time. But I want to share some of the other comments here, Greg. We've got yeah, some. Let's, let's do. I, can't, I, I hope somebody disagrees with me and has much more faith <laughs> in our government. So uh, Tom says, and going kind of going back to the first story, he says, in the apparel business, specifically licensing apparel, you're required to go through an official audit of your manufacturing and your suppliers to ensure that child labor is not being engaged along the process to produce products. It is costly, mandatory, and issues certifications. Okay, that's true, but this isn't the the the, the Uyghur situation is not child labor, and there is no requirement, yeah. as we know, because Nike is one of the biggest offenders, and they're one of the biggest licensed apparel providers in the mm. planet. So, but I do like that, Tom, as an opening to maybe we just have the same requirement for licensing apparel, no slave labor, right? Yeah, uh, no forced labor. However, we have to euphemize it. Uh, Jerry says, uh, everything is getting cheaper and better except two things, education and healthcare. What do those two things have in common? Heavy government regulation. Interesting comment there, Jerry. Thanks for being here via LinkedIn. Appreciate that POV. Peter says, uh, interesting commentary back on what Tom just shared on this topic. One can pass the audit and then replace or do what one wants subsequently and roll the dice going forward. It's like the supplier code of contact, uh, conducts that require suppliers to comply with the laws of their country. That's an excellent point, isn't that, Greg? Right. Yeah, it is an excellent point because that's, you know, the, it is it is effectively lawless on this topic in in China. I mean, this is a government sponsored. This is government sponsored slavery. Yep. Um, and oppression. Right. So. It, it is ar- mm. arguably legal in their country. So Mervin shares uh, similar can be observed as what Tom's talking about in the palm oil industry with expensive certifications, which usually end up being order winners instead of being an order qualifier. Excellent point there, Mervin. 
Mm. Great to have you here today. Let's see here. Bill. Hello, Bill. He says, government regulations typically create more inefficiencies than the perceived problem being solved. You know, Bill, that's a good point. We were talking infrastructure last week. And and look, I, my, yeah. <laughs> Greg and I may differ a little bit here because I, I think with when it comes to infrastructure, you know, I, I invite government action. But as we agreed last week, it's got to be the right action, the right investment uh, with transparency and spotlight so that these backroom deals and these, you know, back slapping deals – Right. Redirection of funds, right. which is that's, that's, the, the case, that's one of right? the, my biggest frustrations, uh, the fraud, waste and abuse um, that um, can go on uh, throughout these massive pieces of, of infrastructure or of, of, of policy. If only the government would adhere to the to the uh, requirements yep. that it puts upon. Agreed. And let's see here. Right? I'm going to read. The, this might still be Co-Rai and Amanda and Clay. Y'all let me know. Uh, government has a place. When there is a crisis to overcome individual opportunistic gains at the cost of the people. Not sure if rail capacity is a crisis situation like that. Maybe this new executive order is the U.S. version of the China Belt and Road Initiative. How about? Well, so we have laws that address that, right? That address things called profiteering. And so there doesn't re- it doesn't require an executive order if that's what the government believes is that there is a price gouging is what we call it in the states. If that exists, see this is the difficulty. There is there is a legal methodology for this, but that legal methodology right. doesn't make any headlines. Right. Right. So we need to make headlines as if we're attempting to do something in order to garner the favor of the American people to get reelected. You can see where it's well, very circular. Uh, appreciate like your take on this. Appreciate all the great comments. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to move forward and yeah. tackle our next story. And this one, this one's my, a lot easier, maybe <laughs> a lot easier. And it's, uh, it's, it's good news here. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, we're kind of doing an update to the story from a, a few weeks back. The USMCA is tackling an early steep, uh, speed bump, right? Right. So as reported by Industry Week, the U.S. and Mexico governments last week announced they had resolved a labor complaint in a speedy fashion for that matter. It was the first successful activity involving the USMCA's rapid response labor mechanism, which was one of the key upgrades over NAFTA. So, Greg, in a nutshell, this involved the labor union voting complaint uh, at a General Motors plant uh, plant in Mexico. Ballots were reportedly destroyed by one of the unions if they didn't like how the vote went. And the U.S. asked Mexico to investigate. So good news here. It's being remedied. A new vote's going to be taken in August with five times as many inspectors as reported here by Industry Week. So, Greg, any thoughts here? Well, I I mean, I think... USMCA is such an incredible upgrade over NAFTA for those not in the States who don't know. It has greatly simplified and unified the North American nations, those Mexico, uh, US and Canada, and and enabled us to take this vast continent that we live on and and enable business more effectively and, and enforce some fairness doctrines. And that's really what this is about is um, that ability to report and be supported by nations that are arguably, even considering our previous discussion, arguably more legitimate and um, and mature than Mexico, for them to get that kind of assistance, I think is really, really powerful for that 
organization because this is a simply the way that things are done in many cases in Mexico. But to be able to lean on their trading partners or even just to lean on the requirements of their trading partners in order to redo this injustice is it's powerful Agreed. stuff for a country. Agreed. Like and I love um, when I see advancements like this and improvements over NAFTA. It just brings to my mind a lot of good news, which is we've got such a unique trading trade partner situation here in the Western Hemisphere between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Yeah. If and especially if we if we very intentionally and successfully look for ways where it benefits all parties, you know. Uh, so I look forward to more good news coming out of this this USMCA as it's already been uh, passed, enacted, implemented, and um, and as as Greg, you're alluding to. Big improvement over NAFTA. So stay tuned. Hey, want to say hello to a few yeah. folks. Nick Rumor is with us via YouTube. Hey, Nick, great to see you. Hope this finds you well. Love love the content you throw out there on LinkedIn in particular. Uh, very uplifting content. I like Nick's, Nick's, Nick. <laughs> I like Nick's leadership style. Nick. Do, uh, Dr. Yeah. Rhonda <laughs> Bumpenza Zimmerman. Hey, speaking of great content, I've enjoyed yours. Hey, you're late to the party. That's okay. We'll have it on recording, on demand. It's tough, right? Uh, we have sprung forward. So she's three hours behind us. I mean, she, even though she's in Arizona, she might as well be in California. That's right. Because they don't she, change He is, uh, uh, the, just Rhonda's out there making it happen across industry. So I appreciate any time we get yeah. from you here, Rhonda, on our LinkedIn or on our uh, supply chain buzz. Okay. So, Greg, moving right along, this next story is an interesting one. Yeah. It is really interesting. So, I'm glad you well, dropped this Well, I did this, this for you, my friend. Um, I think <laughs> this this might illustrate maybe some of the your your earlier uh, your regular comments about how supply chain is reported. So, and for folks that are certainly in our community here and on this live stream, a lot of this stuff are stuff you already know. Um, but I, I enjoy um, uh, a couple of these comments here. So, as reported by Yahoo Finance. This is a new report from S&P Global Research. And the headline is the headline reads there. It's supposed to point to three major ways that supply chains are broken. However, Greg, I thought the headline was a little bit misleading, especially as you work down through the article, because I thought the story focused more on some of the kind of the underlying trends that are deeply impacting global supply chain management today. Mm-hmm. So, but I should, I should, to be fair, this was the first of, I think, three releases. So maybe that may, that might clarify that point there. So I picked up five trends from this article. First, of course, one historic demand, Greg, we've all, we've talked about that incessantly Two falling inventories, right? Nothing new. Three, no one can find components. We, how many times we've talked about semiconductors in automotives as just an example? Last week we talked about the patio patio furniture, right? Folks are folks are using catalogs to, right. to order patio furniture. Um, four, lockdowns impact on the workforce, especially manufacturing. You, you've talked a lot about that. We're still seeing that to some degree in some of these global ports. Um, and then five, this is one really right up your alley, Greg. The, the article talks about underinvestment in logistics. It points to the historic consumer demand being addressed with a, quote, essentially fixed supply of logistics services during the first half of 2021, end quote. Uh, on that last point, the article also points to a ton, tons and tons of new investment globally in uh, supply chain. So, Greg, your thoughts here? Well, I, I, I'm not surprised, but again, 
what do I want to say? Triggered. Let's say triggered by the fact that they're ignoring the biggest point, which is we have been paying people. And this goes back to this goes back to the contribution that the government made to the problems to begin with. We are paying people to stay at home. Right. The U.S. government is is supplementing supplementing unemployment benefits to the tune of three hundred to six hundred dollars a week for people to stay at home, not search for work. Right. They have none of the had none of those those issues. Um, and, you know, and basically. When when there are plentiful jobs, now, let's also recognize that coming into this pandemic, the the supply chain uh, industry just in the U.S. had two million jobs that remained un, unfilled. So there is clearly a labor gap in this industry. Um, but that that to me is a much bigger problem today than than any of these things that have been have been described here. Right. The reason that, of course, we had historic demand. I mean, I, I don't even know if I would call it historic demand. It's more like in great excess to any historic demand and impossible to predict demand was because of the cessation of commerce that occurred over the course of just a few days, basically globally, but certainly here in the United States, right? Um, as we said early on in this, with the toilet, great toilet paper shortage of 2020, we don't have a supply mm. problem. We have a demand problem. I have actually talked to people in recent weeks, actually when I was in Wichita, who still have toilet paper from when they originally hoarded toilet paper in March of 2020. So, uh, so I, I think this is a great example, Scott, to your point of someone who knows nothing about supply chain, reporting on supply chain from a macro level without an understanding of the underlying or, or a refusal to, to address the underlying reasons that they choose to avoid as evidenced by their hyperbolic um, and, as you said, inaccurate headline. Right. So this is more about clicks than accurate information, this particular. Excellent point. And it got mine, dadgummit. But I, I enjoy reading. <laughs> well, I think it's good. Right. I think it's good to point this out because this ha this has to be and probably should be an irritant to people in in the supply chain practice because the supply chains are decidedly not broken. Right. It is government intervention. It is it is government manipulation. It is basically a cold war, a commerce cold war between uh, countries that has caused so much of this problem. Cold war. Wow. So, a, a new Greg White ism yeah, there. Well, a lot, a lot of good stuff, a, a lot of good reading, uh, a, a lot of um, different takes out there. Uh, we've been talking about here as we wrap uh, this article via Yahoo Finance. But this is really it's based on research put out by the S&P Global Research. So y'all check that out. Okay. So I want to share a couple of comments here, yeah. Greg. And then uh, we're going to keep driving here. So Stephanie's with us here today. Stephanie, welcome via LinkedIn. She says, going through crisis mode with Malaysia shutdowns right now. Q3 is going to be the worst. Wow. Oh, man, that's bad. that's bad news. Wow. Malaysia really kind of dodged a bullet early on. And and they opened up mm. really mm. relatively early. So and they right. have been doing great. Nick talks about the flawed point. system. Uh, Rhonda says, I can't believe they're still dishing out all that money. So many opportunities uh, across the world. I apologize your comments about uh, 
appreciate probably your comments about this issue. I bet she's she's probably working out. <laughs> if she also wants to apologize for my comments, I would uh, also accept that. As a let's citizen. see here. Uh, and she continues to say, fears creating unhealthy, unhelpful behavioral choices. Huh. Uh, Nerfad says, forest pine cones do wonders way better than that hoarded two-ply, three-ply stuff available. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Mohib says, commerce coldware. This, this term should be in a textbook. Hey, hey, how about that? Um, Greg White. If it were in a textbook, it, it could already be in a textbook. Hey, hey, as you know, I've never read one. All right. So. I'll tell you, we are moving right along. I thought we would be at uh, at the top of the hour by now, but this is good. I, I want, want to carve some time out. We've heard a lot across social media yeah. about the passing of really a legendary figure in global business. And I just want, want right. to share a couple things here, Greg. So, Roddy Martin passed away last week. Uh, leaders from uh, across industry around the world have been mourning. We've seen it. You, you probably have seen it as well across LinkedIn, other social. Uh, Corinne Bursa, I think, had had the opportunity. One of our hosts here, host Tech Talk, had the opportunity to rub elbows with Roddy. So uh, Mr. Yeah. Martin was well known for his expertise, especially in digital transformation, change management, change management in many other areas. Um, Jake Barr. Uh, if you remember him, Greg, he joined us for a live stream a month or two back on Tech Talk here, Supply Chain Now. So he yeah. reached out via LinkedIn and shared this commentary that I'm about to, to quote from. Uh, this was composed by Kevin O'Mara from Amazon. And uh, I'm going to quote from this at the tail end. It's not going to do it justice. This, this will be published. Uh, so look for this in uh, some upcoming uh, trade publications. But uh, he says, quote, I was traveling once with Roddy in his native South Africa when he introduced me to the concept of Ubuntu. I think I said that right. It is a Zulu term for humanity, mm -hmm. which he translated to me as roughly, I am because we all are. He invoked the idea in response to my musings about how supply chain can save the world. To him, my, my audacious premise was perfectly reasonable because he could already see the connections between each and all of us, end quote. Again, that's by Kevin O'Mara from Amazon, focused on his experiences, some of his journey with Mr. Roddy Martin. So all the best to Mr. Martin's family, friends, and colleagues. He passed away on July 9th last week. Um, and, we, you know, we all do certainly share responsibility, Greg, to build on his legacy and service, especially history of service to global business, improving the industry yeah. for all, uh, to kind of borrow from that quote there. Your thoughts? So I've never met Roddy before, but I'm keenly aware of his 80-slide presentations that go into excruciating detail on the dynamics and interrelationships of supply chain, essentially the underpinnings of AMR research, whom Laura uh, Ciceri and and Mike Griswold, who are often on this show, um, you know they they come from, and continues to underpin some aspect of the of the perception and and uh, approach to supply chain excellence at at Gartner. So uh, far reaching impact, very uh, cerebral individual. I mean, to, you know, kind of the Dalai Lama of supply chain, if you will. He thought about the world. He thought about supply chain in a, at a much more ethereal level 
than a mathematical or, or an operational level. And I think that is to his credit. Frankly, he freed the minds of many of us to be able to think about things as they should be rather than just as they are. Right. He, he is sort of the catalyst of my feeling that best practice, right, is, is often just an excuse right. for that's the way we've always done it. And to think about things as they should be rather than the way that they are and the way that they've always been. So, um, yeah, unbelievable soul and, and incredibly knowledgeable and visionary person. Weird to say visionary in supply chain, um, at least up until now, but certainly he, he was one Agreed. of the key so visionaries. All the best wishes to the Martin family uh, and, and the huge network of folks that, that collaborated with him and, and love reading and will continue to be reading about the legacy he leaves behind. So um, now you mentioned Lars Cesare. Yeah. And of course, I'd be remiss if we did not talk about an upcoming opportunity to uh, really connect with her and the whole team and, and even better, folks, rock and roll leaders from across global supply chain that much like Roddy Martin, uh, because uh, as you mentioned, pointed out, Laura, yeah. was at AMR. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, they had collaborated a good bit. So anyway, learn more about uh, the upcoming Supply Chain Global Supply Chain Insights Global Summit is coming up in September. We've got a link for that in the show notes. And Greg and I look forward to, along with the rest of our many of our hosts, hosting the virtual feed of that exclusively here at Supply Chain Now. So you can learn more at supplychainsightsglobalsummit.com. Okay. So, Greg, uh, I'm going to pose this question to you here. And I think this comes from Korai. Oh, boy. And he says, Greg, what's next up? Trade wars, third wave COVID, recession, any positive news on a Monday? It's one of our favorite questions, Greg. What's, what's your answer here? Yeah, I, I'm. well, I got to tell you, I, I don't think necessarily that the government getting doing hand-waving with this executive order and some of these other things is necessarily bad news. I just don't expect much from it and frankly expect more, um, particularly around the Uyghur issue. I mean, you know, the president, he campaigned on that issue and has done largely nothing, nothing more than the previous administration had. So at least we are maintaining a relatively hard line. So don't get me wrong. It's, uh, it's, it's not a negative outlook on the world. It's just a negative outlook on our government's abilities, our respective government's ability to make the world a better place. Mm. They will not do that. They have not done that to date. So, but yeah, um, gosh, what, what, what is coming? Uh, you know, I call myself a free agent futurist mostly because nobody like IBM or SAP will pay me to be a futurist and, and pimp their programs as a, as a futurist. So, um, I'm not sure if I'm a good futurist, but, um, I think we can expect uh, continued easy money, which will continue to expand economies and it will probably continue to impact inflation. But I think also, and this this to me is good news, and I, I probably haven't expressed that here, but I think that some of the things that we're seeing in terms of price escalations are highly temporary. That includes shipping, that includes lumber, which by the way, has already come down substantially from its its peaks. Um, you know, it includes some of the things that we're starting to see. But as my mother brilliantly said the other day, there's lots of hidden inflation. And I think we may have talked about this on a show. 
a half in this in the United States, the, a half gallon of ice cream is no longer a half gallon of ice cream. You don't pay, you don't pay the same, you pay the same amount, but now it's one and a half quarts instead of two quarts, right? And um, so we have to be on the lookout for that. And I think it behooves consumers to become very aware of that and to, in again, in the States, to start to check ourselves uh, in terms of buying luxuries, for instance, beach houses, any vacation home is virtually impossible to buy in the States because they are literally going off the market fast, as fast as, as um, primary residences. RV sales are the greatest in, I think, the history of, of RVs. Motorcycles, um, boats, like I said, vacation homes, all uh, Pelotons, all of these arguably uh, um, luxury things are because the government is paying people to, to stay home or at least not forcing them to look for work. That will change probably by September. And then we'll start to see probably a slight dip in the markets, a slight dip in the economy, but then it will come back as people start earning the money that the government has been handing them to them until that time. So, uh, and everyone will have, um, everyone will have their revenge travel. Another, another fascinating term. Revenge travel is people who are traveling now because they haven't been able to travel for many, many months. I don't know if any of you did what some people did, which is bank plane tickets during COVID at the low, low prices that they are. And then travel, you know, take advantage of the ability to move those tickets to any time and travel then. But now plane tickets are very difficult, very expensive, I should say. And also a seat on a plane is becoming difficult to come by. We, we flew recently and the plane was not not full uh, on a couple of the flights, but over full on other flights. Now, they've also prepared back flights, but they're going to expand that back. So um, I don't think there's a coming crash, but again, let me qualify that as I often do, not an economist. In fact, I didn't even get good grades in economics, but I understand the basics of, of free markets and of supply and demand and equilibrium in the marketplace. And I feel like in so many areas, Scott, we're reaching equilibrium. In fact, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't eat chicken wings right now because they're too expensive, right? I eat, what do they call them? Boneless wings, which is chicken nuggets. Well, at least they're, at least it's breast meat, so it's good meat. It's not like the whipped chicken fat you get at McDonald's, but, the, but it, it's not as good as wings. I'm all about the wings, right? So when, when we get an indication, we'll call this the, we should call this the wing index will get an indication that that inflation is coming back when you and I can afford chicken wings. <laughs> hey, again, Scott, what, were we supposed to stop eating chicken wings? Amanda, did you get that memo? Uh, we <laughs> well, maybe you found something that I, I have. Um, really expensive. Well, here's some other good news. Uh, so Nick shares uh, two million job openings in supply chain in the U.S. alone. That's great news. Uh, I would add to that list, and, and you know, we celebrate good news every Friday, very intentionally. It's, it's good to call time out and, and find good news that folks are involved with across the markets. I'd add, Greg, 
bird and especially blue jay activity in our backyard is immense right now. I'm not sure what's going on in that that aspect of nature, but it is it's awesome to see. We've got uh, blue jays tend to kind of come through here seasonally. The I mean, blue it's, jays it's only and the brown thrashers are two rival so, gangs, and then they're going around and around at our feeders. Um, yeah, they <laughs> kidding are. aside, um, you know, I think. I was really thinking about this over the weekend. I, I think one of the really big pieces of good news is is the information and perspective exchange and 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 um, how much easier that is getting. I mean, this live stream I think is a great example, right? Um, we're not relegated as it wasn't too long ago, Greg, to have to be in person at events, at this dinner meeting here and this dinner lunch meeting here and plant tour here. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And it's good for industry. It's good for leadership. It's good for driving change, especially the meaningful change that that, um, we've kind of talked through throughout some of these news stories here today that some folks are talking about in the comments. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. Uh, More and more awareness um, is is great news here Uh, as consumers. Well, that's the inverse of so many of these stories, as Corey said, right? We are more aware of what's going on in Xinjiang province than we've ever been. And, you know, we as consumers, the good news is we have the power to stop that. We can stop buying the brands that we know are contributing to this. And I I think that's, you know, that sort of thing is good news. The, you know, the, as you said, the transparency of supply chain is going to improve performance of supply chain. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and we got what we wanted. We've talked about this a lot. We got what we wanted. We wanted right. supply chain to have a seat at the table. And uh, now it's our time to shine. Agreed. I want to share a couple more comments here. So Andy, great to have you back via LinkedIn. He says Ubuntu is supposed to be a Linux flavor. Did I hear the word right? If I said it, you, chances are you may not have heard it right. <laughs> no, no, he's right. It is a flavor of Linux, but it, they've, they've uh, gotcha. co-opted the name gotcha. from its original. Yeah, from its original. Uh, Jerry, so glad to see this China slave labor issue being discussed. Um, and let's see here. Uh, Nick says he is still not traveling. We here in the UK are not allowed in just yet. Uh, Rhonda says, I'm an optimistic realist most of the time, but aware of our sometimes unhelpful choices from time to time. We all need to do our part to help with the growth and recovery process. Excellent point there. So I, just to be clear on this point, I'm an incredible optimist, but I refuse to ignore the negatives that impact that optimism. What I, what I really, really fear mm. is blind or uninformed optimism, right? There's every reason to believe optimists. Look, I studied the Soviet Union when I was, when I was in college, right? Because I was going to be a, diplomat and um there were millionaires and billionaires in in the soviet union a communist society right you can overcome anything that that your government or your condition can can do to for or against you so uh, i want everybody to understand that these are just things right that uh, i look out for that help me maintain the optimism and hope of you know, of greater things, but I would, I won't rely on government and I don't, I won't uh, delude myself into believing that it is not corrupt in, in doing so. Right. Because those are the people that get caught. Sorry, in the I, trap. I wasn't sure if you're going full, full, 
full torch. No, you're good. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> preaching. I'm just telling everybody. I just want everybody to understand that I think the world That's is right. a great place. You know my belief, there Scott, is. that there is abundance in the universe. Right. It is. This is not a zero sum game. And, and it's also a serious responsibility for leaders to to you know, tackle the the, uh, the change that's got to be tackled uh, and, and not turn that blind eye, not turn that, that blind, optimistic eye, you know, uh, because it, 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 there's so much good news out there. It's easy to focus on that. But there's a lot more a lot more heavy lifting that's got to be done to address some of these situations and uh, these injustices that um, that we're talking about here today and, and, and on plenty of other shows. So I, I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, I, I appreciate you, you jumping on and, you. and and you know telling it straight. I think I think there needs to be a lot more of that as well uh, across uh, the content creation channels. Okay, you're in the right place, folks. <laughs> That's right. So, Peter, talking about travel as we wrap here, July 14th, he says, is my free to travel date. We'll have passed the 14 days since his second shot, but traveling even double vaxxed requires too many hoops to be jumped through. Really? Uh, and let's see. And yes, two COVID tests, one prior and one post-travel. So he's going to be yes. rediscovering some of the Canadian provinces. I'm with you there, uh, Peter. Okay. So, uh, Greg, we've covered a lot of lot of ground here today. I want to wrap. I want to kind of bookend this. Uh, love what our friends over at Omnia Partners are doing, folks. Be sure to check out connections 2021 it's in person in september in miami florida what a beautiful city we're looking mm -hmm. forward to being there in person broadcasting live the first day and knocking out some interviews uh in subsequent days so y'all check that out september 27th through the 29th 2021 gregory and imagine too i mean laura's laura's thing in nashville Look, I think we've shared that that costs money. Is it right? Fourteen hundred dollars a seat, Scott. Yep. Fifty. Well worth it. Maybe not within your personal range, but um, look, I think you've you've all experienced for free that what you can learn from from Laura. Imagine if your colleagues or your leadership team could engage with her and the quality leaders in a safe space, no vendor space. In a safe space for three days, that would be tremendously valuable. That is the kind of commitment that a supply chain professional can really gain from in tenfold to the cost, easily tenfold. Excellent point. And here's a little, I, you know, I mean, if you can't make fifteen grand off of a off of that, uh, the knowledge that you gain, I would be stunned. I would say it'd probably be closer to one point five million if you could learn enough from this thing to make it worthwhile. Love it. Um, and, and a little, little extra incentive for folks that sign up for the virtual uh, uh, participation of that event in September, uh, the Supply Chain Global Insights Summit. Uh, you get to join a private networking session with Laura Cesare. Now, it won't be one-on-one, -on -one, to, be, to be very transparent, but if you haven't met her yet, you haven't had a chance to pose some questions to her and get in her take and just connect with her, um, what a mm -hmm. great um, add-in for folks that sign up for the virtual version of that conference. When, when she dials her mind into that session, she'll be able to distill down some of what you hear into what, how, how to process it. Agreed. Right. How to use it going forward. Yep. All right, folks, that is going to be the wrap for the supply chain buzz for one July 12th, 2021. Really appreciate the wealth of comments 
the, the clarifications, your takes, uh, your questions even for some of these stories we tackled here today. Greg, big thanks uh, for uh, always fun to, yeah. to do this with you. Big thanks, so Greg. To the folks behind the scenes, Amanda and Jada and Clay, and I think Allie even is with us. Really appreciate what all y'all do. And um, hope everyone has a wonderful week. But if you hear, hear one thing here today from today's live stream, hear this. I got to challenge you to do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. Greg didn't count. Uh, and, <laughs> and on that note. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm just enjoying it so much. Also reading Sheldon talking about Lambos and Porsches on the streets in Jamaica. I've driven the streets in Jamaica. That's a very dangerous prospect. You could lose a Lambo in a couple of those streets. Well, hey, we'll see. Uh, you, we'll see you back here, Sheldon, hopefully soon. Uh, Y'all have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll see you back right here on Supply Chain Now real soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.